All right, that's one of my favorite songs, and so appreciate that being sung this morning. Our text is Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 will be the text. Brother Dave, you scared me this morning there, that last song you said, uh, turned to 130, and then you paused, and I said, oh no. He said, I hope, and then he stopped. I thought he was going to say, I hope he's done by 130. Uh, but, but you didn't, so I'm glad that you didn't do that. All right. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Now understand, let, let me put this out here right away. Some people may not like some things that I say today. And uh, I'm not up here to try to offend people. I'm up here to tell the truth. And so that's what it is. So all I'm going to ask, though, is that you hear me to the end. Lord willing, it'll be before 1.30, okay? But uh, uh, just listen to it to the end, and, and uh, I think it'll come together for you. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. That is, I set you apart for holy work. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now shall we pray. Father, as we look at this text today and we see its application today, I ask that, Lord, you just use this to move in this congregation, in our midst. I need you. We all need you, Lord. If anyone is without Christ, May this be the day they come to Jesus Christ. Lord, there is a fight on. And we need to be on the Lord's side and the Lord's army. Help us, I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The title of my message is The Fight is On. I thought I would suggest that to Brother Kevin as a marriage song, but he, uh, I don't think he's going to take me up on that. Uh, but uh, the fourth verse is actually key to the rest of the book of Jeremiah when you look at it because it says there, the word of the Lord came unto me saying. Now, when he said that, me is Jeremiah and the Lord came to Jeremiah and said these things and Jeremiah wrote them down. Now, I'm Reminded of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, just before that, Peter speaks about the time being caught up into the holy mount with the Lord. And what you need to understand about that is that uh, Jesus took James, John, and Peter, <coughs> excuse me, up into the holy mount, and was transfigured before them. All of a sudden, his clothes become white and glistering. 
Then there appears Elijah and Moses with him. Now, what is interesting to me about those two appearing, they lived hundreds of years before that. Moses over a thousand. They, they lived before that time, but they don't come with a name tag. They know who they are. They didn't have pictures painted of these guys. They know who they are. You know, when we get to heaven, we'll know even as we're known. So, they know who they are, and this cloud overshadows them and so forth, and Peter and John and, and James are shaking in their boots. They're scared to death. And they're talking to Jesus of what's to come. Of course, the cross will be coming very soon. But isn't it interesting that finally Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And the Father in heaven didn't really care for that statement. And his voice thunders out and the cloud overshadows them and says, This is my son, hear ye him. It's about Jesus, you see. And when he does that, those three guys faint out. I mean, they just fall over. They, they collapse. They, they, they faint. And the Lord has to bring them back around. Now, one thing you have to say about that, that was an experience. That was some experience those guys had. Now, you, and none of us have had that experience. Those guys had the experience. And yet, even with that experience, he says a more sure word. A more sure word. Why? Because the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but, uh, but the Holy Ghost of God spake as they uh, were moved in the Holy Ghost. That more sure word, other words, is that here they are. They saw this. And now Peter's saying, look, more certain than that, more certain than that experience are the Scriptures. Now, just think of that. I mean, that was quite an experience, but the scriptures are more trustworthy than your experience. And we're also told that no scripture is of private interpretation. Why? Because every word, 2 Timothy chapter 4, that's chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is given by inspiration of God, the word inspiration meaning God breathed. Every word of God was breathed out by God. I, I remember sitting in Bible classes and so forth of teachers saying, uh, God just gave these men such a sanctified mind that they thought these things out and they thought He guided their thinking so it wouldn't be wrong. And they wrote them down. And my hand went up a couple times. Finally, I just said, okay, they, they don't believe it, so don't go with it, but with them. Uh, but they said, no, 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 Bloom, you're wrong. Because I was saying, if God breathed out every word, they just wrote down every word God dictated to them. 
How can I say that, oh, my mind is so great that God didn't have to dictate into me? Look, Peter was, they took knowledge of him in Acts chapter 5 that he was ignorant and unlearned. Do I want to trust that mind? No. So when we look at it, every word was breathed out by God, but he said, holy men of old. Why? Because God just wouldn't trust anyone to write down his words. They may make some changes. I mean, you go to uh, the Greek text, then the critical text people came in, and they made changes from some corrupted texts and tried to put them into the real text. See, that's what they do. They put those critical notes in there. Well, listen, you don't criticize God's Word. The Word of God usually criticizes me because it looks at me through the Word, through the light of the Word, into my heart, and it shows me that I'm the one that needs corrected, not the Bible. So in saying that, holy men of God took down every word, word for word, and that is the idea there, and of no private interpretation means this. It can't be interpreted from any other part of the Bible. It can't contradict any other part of the Bible. I remember back in my first church that I was pastoring up in Cantonment, Florida, that uh, a lady, I'd led her husband to the Lord, and they started coming to church, and uh, they were high society, and I wasn't, but nonetheless, they'd come to our church, and I led her husband to the Lord. So they said, we, we've got this guy I want you to visit. So, well, tell me about him. He happened to be a professor that traveled the world. He spoke at, he, he taught classes at Harvard. Then he would go somewhere over in France and all these different places. He traveled the world. He was that kind of a guy. And I remember, she says, would you go and try to witness to him? So I went to his house and I mentioned the people's names. Oh yeah, come on in. Sit down, I started talking to him and he said this. Well, you know, I have a hard time believing what you're saying because there's so many contradictions in that book. Well, if there were contradictions, it'd be hard to believe the Word of God. If you don't believe that you have a completed Word of God, then how can you stake your salvation on something that you're not sure is right? So, he said there are contradictions. Now, I knew the education, the learning, and everything that man had far past my, I think I was about 30 years old at the time. And I know that far surpassed what I had. And so the Lord gives you things. I'm not that smart, so the Lord gives you things to say. So when he said that, just it hit my mind. It wasn't something I'd prepared for in case this came up. It just hit my mind. I said, well, that's very interesting. I said that you say that. I says, sir, I says, I've read this Bible through. I think by that time I'd already read through about five or six times. This is, I read from, from Genesis 1, 1 to all the way to the end through Revelation chapter 22. And I'm not seeing one of those contradictions. Would you show me one of them? He said, uh, well, I don't know where they are. He says, but I know they're in there. And I said, well, sir, would you accept that in class? Would you accept in class that somebody quoted something from history or quoted something from else, but they had no proof of it? And he says, no, 
And so we finished there. I did not lead him to Christ out that day as far as him getting saved. But it wasn't too long after that we moved from there. But when he died, the lady called me up and says, before he died, he got saved. Praise the Lord. So maybe we planted a seed. I don't know. The important thing is not who led him to Christ. It's that he got saved. Okay. That's the important thing. But, you see, people had the idea as well. Can I really trust the word of God? Oh, yes. And if anybody says there are contradictions, they are misunderstanding what the scripture is saying. There are no contradictions in the word of God. It's breathed out by him. And so, therefore, the Holy Ghost knew what he was doing when he breathed out every word. Uh, God doesn't make anything wrong. Okay? He doesn't get anything wrong. He always does it right. Now, having said that, we see that Jeremiah received the word, and next we see the holy call of this man came very early, even while he was in his mother's womb. Look again at verse 4. For I formed thee in the belly. I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Well, he was called while he was in his mother's womb, we're told. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we read this. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, a lot of times we stop right there, and it's a shame because that's not where the Great Commission stops. For we are His workmanship, created unto good works, which Christ has before ordained that we should walk in them. That's why you teach them to observe all that He has commanded you. The Great Commission is not fulfilled until we win them, get them baptized, and start teaching them what the Word of God actually says. Then you're fulfilling the Great Commission. But what I want you to understand is that this, this man had a plan for his life before he was even conceived. But let me put something else on you. God had a plan for your life before you were conceived. There's no human being on the face of this earth that was born without God already having a plan for their life. Now, the point is, we were created in the image of God. God is the Spirit. The image of God is not what did Jesus Christ look like that. That's the image of God. No, Jesus Christ didn't have a body, human body at that time. But from everlasting to everlasting, He was God. And, and so we know that He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We do know that about Jesus Christ. So, knowing that, that He was God come in the flesh, knowing that He did that for us, we know that God has a free will, therefore we're created with a free will. We either accept God's will or we reject it. With some, it's not a point of rejecting God's will, it's a point of never seeking it. And I like that Ephesians 2a through 10 passage because you start out 
For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you realize, no, I don't earn salvation. It's a free gift of God. But I accept it based on Jesus Christ dying on the cross, shedding his blood for all my sins that I ever have or ever will commit, paying the penalty in full for me, being buried and raising again from the dead. Yes, that's my victory. And that's the way I get saved. And that's the way anyone gets saved. Now, they have to hear that gospel. They need to hear that gospel from us. But you have a call on your life. Let me say this to any teenagers in this auditorium today. Before you were born, you had a call of God on your life. And you're old enough now to start seeking it. David was 17 when he killed Goliath and had already been anointed with oil to follow Saul. But David had to obey God in all that he said to do to get to that point. You, every teenager, you've got to call on God on your heart and life. If you've not been saved yet, that's the first call that's on your life. God wants you to be saved. But you've got to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Now, before this world was created, God had a will for you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning in Acts chapter 15, verse 18. From the beginning of the world, God already knew everything. What we're doing right now, God do this. Even all that I would say in here before he even created the world. Think of that. That's why he's omniscient. That is all-knowing. As one theologian said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He's always known. Now, having said that, I like what uh, Henry Morris had to say about this one verse in his Bible notes. He says, contrary to the capitulation theory proposed by modern evolutionists and promoted by modern abortionists, Jeremiah was known by God before he was even conceived in the womb, illustrating the truth that the human embryo is fully human from the moment of conception. Yeah, I think Brother Morris just hit the head right on the nail. And by the way, his family, the Days of Praise devotional booklets, his family keeps that going. They do a lot of the writing themselves and the creation research. I, there's a couple great creation uh, people doing some great things, but I like theirs because they know which Bible to use. And very brilliant people as well. Now, by the way, having laid that all out, this is where I'm going to get controversial. Now, controversial on abortion being murders, that's another thing. But uh, these things now, because we see what's going on in this country today. There is a black and white divide in this country. I believe that it's fully promoted by the media and socialist type people. And I want you to hear me out on this. The various riots and violence against black and against white is what liberals actually want. 
You see, whether you're black or white, don't be a pawn in their hand. And by that mean a person who is easily moved by these people for their own purposes. Do you know, in speaking of abortion, which race has the most abortions and paid for by the government? Well, it's blacks. You say, well, are, are you down on blacks? No, I am not at all. What I'm saying is this. The reason that is, is because that is a fully Noxy attitude. Remember, Hitler and Nazism was about the superior race. Getting these things together was to do less of the black race. I thoroughly believe that because there's too much written about it. And that is always wrong. Look, murder, regardless of the race, is wrong. And so, they want to eliminate one of the races because they feel we're the superior race. I remember when we moved south uh, for the first time. We lived in Ohio. That's where I was born. And then we moved south. My dad was going to go to Tennessee Temple College and study for the ministry, which he did. But I remember as a little boy, that was the first time I went to a store and saw two water fountains. One marked colored and the other one marked white. Now, let me say this. Back in that day, if you said black, then you better be ready for a fight because they preferred colored back in that day. And that, that's just the way it is. I'm, I'm not making accusations. That's the way it is. You did not say black. Now today, if you say colored, then you better be ready for a fight. Okay, that's, that's just the way it is. And sometimes I think there are people that stoke those fires to keep it going that way. And, and so when, I, when we came here, I saw that. But something that was even more to me than that was that there were, most restaurants did not have the mixture of black and whites. White people had their own restaurants. If you went to McDonald's, it was all white in there. You go to the different restaurants, they were all white. Blacks did have some restaurants. But after a while, what I noticed is that going into department stores and grocery stores, blacks and whites could go into those. And I think the thing that just really surprised me at first, I'd see the restrooms, men, ladies, colored. In other words, there were three restrooms. The third one was for colored, whether they were male or female. That was a shame. That was a shame on America. That was evil. And I don't apologize for saying any of that at all. I can remember when uh, we were mixed within the schools. Was, had integration. I, I was uh, a junior in high school before we had integration. 
in our school. It was just convenient also, that was the first year they decided that you shouldn't read the Bible in, in school. I, I can remember they would choose students, come on up and have a thought of the day and, and give it to the people. So the, the, whoever the student was, they'd lead in the Pledge of Allegiance, and you only ple pledged to one flag, of course. We actually had some, uh, I think it was Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, it was Jehovah Witnesses for sure that would not pledge allegiance to a flag. And they were in our school. Nobody got down on them. Nobody threatened them. Nobody said a word to them. We knew that was their religion. But most people would pledge the flag. And then when that changed, and we didn't have a Bible reading and everybody repeat the model prayer together, when that changed, <clears throat> people just get up and give a few announcements, and, and they did continue to do the flag pledge. And then their thought of the day. <clears throat> they asked me to do that one day. I thought, are they crazy? And it only happened once because I never got asked again. But <clears throat> I got up there, I said, okay. So I read a Bible verse, and then I said a prayer. Now I had some teachers and some other students, man, I'm glad you did that, I'm glad you did that. <clears throat> but I still didn't get asked to come back to do that again, for which I'm thankful, because I didn't enjoy <clears throat> some of the stares that you got at, you know, as a kid. But it worked. It worked well. And some were glad to still hear it in a public school. Now, <clears throat> I said that, you say, that's just how it was. Now, I can remember, and this might shock you, but I'll tell you this as well. A theologian visited our church that my dad was pastoring. It's not this church. And he preached a sermon. And I remember sitting there. He preached a sermon, separate but equal. He did say, don't look down on him, but we're to be separate but we are equal. And <clears throat> he went on that uh, and gave a lot of verses and a lot of Bible passages that uh, he went, and it sounded, it sounded good, but then sometimes God gives a kid a, a thought, and I guess he gave me the thought. And it simply was this, if you really believe that, then why do you send white missionaries to black folks in other countries? Didn't make sense. And so, when I looked at all of that, I thought, that, that's kind of crazy. You know, it's evil. It is very evil when Klansmen's and blacks murder or maim and do violence over race. It does not, let me add this though, it does not represent most blacks or most whites. Okay, now your media will report it as if that's a common thing. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> Those guys that grew up in my era, you know this. Every time you watch TV and the, the uh, evidence of the bias in the media back then isn't like it is now. But they always reported in such a way that the South, everybody was prejudiced. <clears throat> Where are all the riots taking place right now? Where did they start? 
It's up north, huh? But not everybody up north is prejudiced. Some media people got roughed up, but a lot of them didn't. So are the ones that got roughed up prejudiced? <laughs> See how dumb that is? That is utterly dumb. Stupid. And so don't go proclaim those things as if it was true because then you also come off as bad that way. Now, frankly, and I want to say this again, I'm tired of dividing everything black and white. I'm an American. Acts 17, 26, and says, and hath made of, of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. That's God. He does not lie. He breathed out every word. And so, we read that. It says, all nations of men dwell on all of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Look, one blood is not saying one blood type. No, we're all different. Hey, white people and black people have different blood types of among themselves. Okay. Now, so it has nothing to do with blood type. Now, identification is needed. Somebody breaks in, commits a crime. You want to say it was Caucasian, white, or it was a black that held up the bank that did this or did that, whatever it was. Why? For description purposes. You're trying to catch the guy from doing damage to anybody else. And so, but other than that, in my eyes, if they're saved, they're my white brethren and my black brethren. But they're my white fellow American brethren and my black fellow American brethren. If they're unsaved, they're my fellow Americans. And that's where it goes. And that's it. Now let me tell you something. Uh, they're all Americans. And whether they're black or they're white, all need to hear the gospel, every one of us who are saved need to fulfill the great commission regardless of the color. And I am 100% for winning the lost at any cost. Um, I do have a problem with illegal aliens. Okay, I'll tell you that. I'm not against them individually, personally. I'm against them not coming in legally. If they want to come in legally, I'm all for it. Have the opportunity that you and I have had. I don't like the idea of the murder, the drugs, and the destroying of our children that comes in with them. Let me give you one other illustration before I move on. There's a kid I knew, grew up with him, uh, probably from eighth grade on, just knew him. We got to know each other a little bit. And probably the most prejudiced person I ever knew. He used the N-word every time he saw someone that was black. Every time. 
And, uh, you know, we were integrated, and I was already scared to death that he was going to use that word and get me beat up. But he, uh, he had a reason. His dad, he owned a business that did well. He was very well to do. One day, leaving the business with the bag that they'd carry their money in, you know, to take to the bank, he walked out, and three black guys held him up and took all of his money, which was a considerable amount. He gave them the money without resistance from somebody who had watched what happened. And then, for whatever reason, they killed him. Now, from that point on, because he was just a little boy when that happened, from that point on, he hated all black folks. That was wrong. Now, that policeman keeping his knee in that guy's neck after he'd already quit struggling, quit trying to fight him, I think that was wrong. But don't indict all white people because of that. And don't indict all black people because of what they did to that kid's daddy. And that is one of the problems because the media won't let you do that. A lot of liberals in, in Washington and wherever else won't let you do that. In education, they're there. They won't let you do that. Look, we've <clears throat> got to do something in this country. It's not going to happen until there's revival. And that revival has to begin in God's house. People have to get back right with God and quit adopting the ways of Baal, Balaam, and whatever else into your worship services so you'll really be excited and like it. I like kids' programs, but not if it's not going to teach them doctrine and how to walk with God and serve God if it's just something to entertain them. Don't waste your time in sending kids to a program like that. It's an abomination to God. Now, that's fine, but what I want you to see that why I'm saying this is because I believe that it is the mind of God. Look again at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Listen to these following passages. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. All things were created for what? God's pleasure. That's simple. That's not hard to understand. Now listen to Ezekiel 18.23, speaking of unsaved people. God says, have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? The Lord says, I don't have any pleasure that the wicked should die. There's no pleasure in that. None whatever. The question to ask is, does God have any pleasure that a wicked man should die in his sin and go to hell? And the answer is no, 1,000 times no. God doesn't have pleasure in that. He created all things for himself. 
But he gave us a free will. Therefore, men go against the pleasure and the will of God. In Ezekiel, again, continuing the same chapter. Now we look at verse 26 of chapter 18. And now, instead of talking about the wicked, the unsaved, he starts to speak to the righteous or the saved and speaks about them turning from their righteousness, beginning to adopt the ways of the world to go another direction in their life. But they are righteous. They are saved. Remember, uh, Lot, the New Testament says, that righteous man vexed his soul. If the Bible calls him righteous, he was a saved man. But boy, he messed up big time. But isn't it great that God forgives? No matter how much you've messed up, if you'll repent and turn to him. So, he's speaking to the righteous. And listen, verses 30 through 32. Therefore, I will judge you, O those of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord. God, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Kent's uh, cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed. And that's the same thing as repentance. And make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? And then verse 32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Unsaved, God says, whoever is unsaved, he doesn't have pleasure in casting them to the eternal lake of fire that was prepared for Satan and his angels, Matthew 25. For saved people who backslide and die in that backslidden condition, saved so as by fire, ashamed at his appearing, God has no pleasure in taking you out of this world like he did in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where some come to the table in a way that was unworthy of taking of the Lord's Supper and he took them out of this world. Now you think about that. That's the way God worked. That's the way God works. These people that say, well, some are predestinated to go to heaven and some are predestinated to go to hell have just said, God, you're a liar to say that you have no pleasure in the death of the wicked because everything was done for your pleasure. Well, we don't say that. You are saying it if you say some are predestinated to go to hell. They believe even saved people, if they've been predestinated, they already have a renewed regenerated spirits, so they're going to heaven whether they ask the Lord to save them or not. I'm tired of them calling God a liar. I believe that we preach the truth and preach it as it is to men as they are, and don't quit, don't ever quit. So again, God's will, God's way is always right. Learn to live by it. So it's time to wake up. It is time to wake up. There's a fight on. There's a real fight on. There is a spiritual warfare that rages for the souls of men. Not just the unsaved. The saved to get them off walking with God. That's why Brother 
<coughs> Woodward preached in our uh, Sunday school class today as his teachings talked about the flesh warned against the spirit. My friend, if you're not walking with God as a Christian, you're not living in obedience to Him. If we're not uh, in the Word of God, we're not obeying, we, we're looking for the pleasures of this world. Matter of fact, Mark chapter 4, remember the seed on the bad ground and on the, the thorny ground. It sprung up but became choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world. And it could not produce fruit that it was created to produce. Why? Because you want to have fun. Oh, I don't want to get my kids mad at me. Yes, yeah, right. Go ahead and destroy the righteous foundations. Let your kids go to hell. Or teach them how they ought to walk so at least your grandchildren make it to heaven as well. In other words, it's time to have it right in the church before we can expect people to get saved in the world. We've got to be a witness. If I'm not going to witness and tell others about how to be saved and to come to Christ, then I'm a failure. I'm a big failure. It's time to wake up if we're going to have revival in America. <clears throat> Let me say this. I expect Milan to give you a big amen on this too. If Monday night football is more important to you than coming to pray for revival, you need to get right with God. And no apologies coming on that one either. Okay. We were created for God's pleasure. That's right. Finally. I'm glad you woke him up, whoever did that. Um, but nonetheless, the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for us. 1 John chapter, chapter 2 says that, that his blood was shed for the whole world. It says not just for ours only, but for the whole world. And that means the whole world. So believe Jesus. But understand also Acts 17, 30 and 31 concerning people that aren't saved today, it says this, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world by that righteous man whom he hath ordained. He has shown it by, he rose from the dead. The Lord Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. God come in the flesh. But Christian friend, let's not depend on them getting saved if we just bring them to church. Hey, look, you ought to at least try to bring unsaved people to church. But really, God wants you to witness too. But it's time, if, we're, if we have any care or love for this country and for our grandkids, it's time to be the witness and be faithful and be what God wants us to be. The great thing is that we know this, that if you come to Him, He'll in no wise cast you out. Yes, I told you some things about black and white. I just always thought it was kind of funny that these guys that said separation of race, but equal, they thought blacks and whites should not marry, but they also had no problem with 
Asiatic, whether it was Jews or Asians. No problem with them intermarrying. I thought, wow. So they can marry that race, even though it's a different race. You see, you're, you're one of three races. Shem, Ham, or J-Pass. But the most important race you need to be in is the family of God. Seek God's will. You know what, God, do you really know that you're fulfilling God's will for your life right now? If not, let's seek to fulfill it. Let's bow our heads.